Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of John where we hear Jesus' words that say, I am the good shepherd. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Merciful Father in heaven, we give you thanks again that you have gathered us as sheep into your flock. And we thank you, Lord, that you feed and nourish and strengthen us. We thank you for the comfort we know from being your sheep. And now, Lord, we pray that you would give us faith and joy in following your Son, our Good Shepherd. It's in his name we pray these things, and we ask you now, O Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I can think of fewer images in all of the scriptures that bring us more comfort than the picture of a good shepherd. We, the sheep of Jesus, love these words from Christ today when he makes this claim. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This calls to mind those marvelous words in Psalm 23 where we proclaim together, the Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not be in want. He leads us to green pastures. He nourishes us there with his word. He refreshes us with his sacraments. He restores our souls and prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. This is a good shepherd indeed. If we were to read further on in John chapter 10 today, we would hear these words. And if I've ever visited you in the hospital, you've probably heard these words because I think we can find no more comfort or no greater comfort in the scripture really than what Jesus says here. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I mean, that, that's wonderful. Those are the kind of verses uh, that, that strengthen you to face anything in this world. You can face death with promises like that from Jesus. I mean, when we hear Jesus tell us that he is our good shepherd, it gives us great comfort and great confidence, hope, and joy. Just imagine what it would have been like. If you had been there the first time Jesus said those words, if you had been there in the audience hearing Jesus make this claim, just imagine how comforted you would have been. Listen to the response that the people had when Jesus, in fact, did say these words. John goes on to say this. After hearing this, there was great division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not words of a possessed man by a demon. Later on, after Jesus says, nothing can snatch you out of my hand, it says, the Jews were greatly comforted. No, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Wait, what? I mean, we can find nothing but comfort in these words. And yet when Jesus proclaimed them for the first time, they brought confusion, they brought division, they brought anger. People tried to kill Jesus on the spot. So what is going on here with these verses today? Well, in order to get at this, I think we need to really start to grasp the radical nature of Jesus' claim when he says, I am the good shepherd. 
Because here he is not only telling us that we as his sheep can find comfort in him, though he is certainly saying that. But there's more. By claiming to be the good shepherd, Jesus is claiming a number of things. One, to be the comforter and the the savior of the sheep, but he's also claiming uh, to be the new king or the promised king of Israel. And beyond that, he's not only claiming to be the promised king of Israel, he's claiming to be the God of Israel. And if you look closely at the passage, what you find today is Jesus is not only claiming to be the God of Israel, but he's claiming to be the God of the whole world. And the hopes and the dreams of Israel and the hopes and the dreams of the entire world depend on this good shepherd laying down his life and taking it up again. And this is too much for the people to hear. They think he's crazy. Some of them think he is possessed by a demon. Some of them think he is so evil that he needs to die. They think he's lost his mind. It would be kind of, the reaction is sort of uh, somewhat similar to this. Here's a little illustration to help us get our minds around this. I don't know if you heard this today, but there is a Super Bowl today. Did you know this? Does anyone care? No? Okay. Because guess what? The Patriots are in it again. Yahoo. Good for them. Uh, This is now the ninth time. uh, The Patriots versus the Rams, if you weren't aware, and now you will be prepared for your Super Bowl party. Uh, But the Patriots are there now for the ninth time under uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And so the argument is going to be today, or the case is going to be made today constantly, whether or not this is the greatest coach-quarterback tandem of all time. And we will grow very tired if you watch the game today and you listen to the game today. Uh, We will grow very tired of hearing just how great Tom Brady is. He is truly, they will say, the greatest of all time. Now, it's frustrating because it's true, and we can argue about it, but we'd all be wrong. He absolutely is that, and that's a very painful thing for me to say because I don't like him, but that's another conversation. (laughs) It is worth noting that he has been there four of the last five years, and that, that fifth year he didn't make it. Denver Broncos. Okay, anyhow, uh, it would be strange, though, after the game. That's strange, but surprising and a little frustrating if after the game, uh, the Patriots won and they interviewed Brady and asked him what he thought, and if he were to come out and say, I am the greatest of all time, we would say, well, this guy's a little fool of himself. Who does he think he is? And his answer would be the greatest of all time, and he would be right. But what would be really interesting to me is if after the game they interviewed Jared Goff. And now if you don't know, Jared Goff is the quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. And Goff is 24 years old and he's in his first Super Bowl. It would be really funny if they lost the game and they interviewed Goff and said, what do you think? And Goff said, well, we did lose, but let's face it. I'm 24 years old in my first Super Bowl. I'm the greatest of all time. We would think this guy is nuts. Yeah, he's done something kind of impressive. But there's nothing really about him that would suggest he's the greatest of all time. We would think he was crazy. People, if you're a Patriots fan, which would be weird, but if you're a Patriots fan, you would be furious. And you'd go after him. The media would tear this guy to shreds if he continued to say that he was the greatest. Well, that's kind of a little glimpse of the reaction that they're having towards Jesus claiming to be the good shepherd. They think he's nuts. They think he's lost his mind. First, he's not some royal, powerful man like they accept, uh, expect a good shepherd to be. He comes from the nowhere town of Nazareth. He's a carpenter's son. And he shows up on the scene, and yeah, he, he preaches some provocative sermons, and yeah, he performs a few miracles here and there, but to claim to be God in flesh, that's a little much. 
What makes matters worse is not only is he making this claim, now he's got some sheep following him around. And now he's got some people who are believing what he is saying, which means he's suddenly becoming a threat. He is a threat to the powers that be. He's a threat to the political order. He's a threat to the peace as it stands. So he's got to be stopped. He's got to be silenced. The consequence for blasphemy is capital punishment by stoning. So they could have killed him right then and there because they believed he was lying. Only to make matters worse, he only provoked them more by telling them, look, you Israelites think you're my only sheep, but I've got sheep who aren't of this fold, and I'm going to go out and gather them in as well. I'm calling people not just from Israel, but I'm going to be calling people from all around the world to have faith in my name, and those will be the sheep of the good shepherd. And he's going to do it by laying down his life, by dying, Death is no way to win. Death is loss. It's not leadership. This guy just must be crazy. And so they decide they've got to get rid of him. He, he divides them. They're angry, and they try and kill him. And this sort of attitude towards Jesus hasn't gone away. We see that Jesus' radical claim to be God continues to divide our world. People continue to fight over it. They debate over it. They, they attack in a war over such claims. The danger has, the, the provocative nature, the radical claim uh, of this sort of thing hasn't gone away. The offense that is taken hasn't gone away. More so, even for us in the church, there are times where we kind of struggle with Jesus as well where we kind of uh, struggle with the claims he makes. Sometimes we think he's a little too aggressive. Sometimes he says things that make us a little bit uncomfortable. Too often for us, even in the church, Jesus isn't the sort of God we want him to be. We'd prefer Jesus to be a little bit more uh, like our elected officials. That is, electable. Someone we want. We prefer a God who performs our agendas, who furthers our causes, and in the process might give us a couple of tax breaks. We want them to look like us. So we feel very comfortable with our God and very comfortable with ourselves. One of the very uh, telling things in the history of art is when you look at the artist's renderings of Jesus, so often Jesus looks a lot like the culture he is painted into. Too often our picture of Jesus reflects what we want Jesus to be rather than what he is. And I think even for, especially for us as Americans, this is really our biggest problem with Jesus. He's not the sort of God we can vote in. He's not electable. And he doesn't do things the way we want him to do. He's going to reach out to who he wants to. He's going to call who he wants to. He's going to gather into his fold who he wants to, whether we like it or not. See, this Jesus is not ours to vote for or to elect. This is the good shepherd, not the president. This is the God who chooses to place himself over us and to be our savior whether we like it or not. And perhaps the most frustrating thing in all of this is, is we can't elect him. No, this is the God who does the electing. This is the God who does the choosing. He calls who he will. He saves who he will. And he does it on his terms, not the sheep's. His thoughts are not our thoughts. No, because his thoughts are not self-serving. His ways are not our ways because he is the God who operates according to the ways of love 
and sacrifice. He's the good shepherd, the God in flesh, who lays down his life for his sheep only to take it up again. See, Jesus is not the sort of shepherd who thinks like his sheep. He doesn't think like his sheep or the way his sheep want him to, but my goodness, does this shepherd love his sheep. Think about it. When we sheep are tempted to follow dangerous paths and walk away into temptation and danger, it is the good shepherd who seeks us out, rebukes us in our sin, gathers us back into his arms, and carries us back into his fold. He is the one who seeks us out, though we wander. He chooses to find us and save us. This is the good shepherd that when the wolves come dressed in sheep's clothing and sing songs that we really like to hear and try and draw us away from the fold so they might devour us, this is the good shepherd who comes along and drives off the wolves, exposes their evil, and brings us back to him safe and sound. Jesus says the thieves come to steal and kill and destroy. But the good shepherd lays down his life as a sacrifice for the sheep so that we might receive, live, and rejoice. Have life, Jesus says, to the full. Unlike the other voices in this world that would have you follow them, unlike the selfish desires that reside in our hearts for which all of us, you and I both, need to repent, unlike these things, the good shepherd looks out for the sheep at all costs, even the cost of his life which he chose to lay down on the cross. Nobody took it from him. This was his plan. This death was no accident. But the good shepherd chose to lay down his life as a sacrifice so that you would have life and have it to the full. You see, this is your good shepherd. And the good news, the comforting news for you today is this. You cannot choose this shepherd. He chose you. You cannot elect him. He elected you to be the one whom he would save. He laid down his life for you. And now he speaks to you with his voice. And you know that voice. And you follow that voice. And it's his voice today that gives you immense comfort. For it is voice that says to you, Hear my voice, dear sheep. I know you. Follow me. Jesus says, I will give you eternal life and you will never perish. And nothing, nothing will snatch you out of my hands. Such are the promises to you, dear sheep, from your good shepherd. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you are a good and faithful shepherd. Though we, like sheep, are prone to wander, Lord Jesus, you seek us out, you save us, and you rescue us time and again. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice only to follow you in faith and to trust your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.